and welcome to episode two of Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities in the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers, requiring a continual evolution in customer engagement. If you're a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, Joan Collins. And me, David Meisegeier. David, what are you up to? What's going on in your world? That's a good question, Joan. So I've been spending a lot of time around financing, looking at how that can be used as a tool to engage more customers in energy offerings for with utilities. How about yourself? That sounds really interesting. I, I can't wait to hear more on that. That might have to be a, a subject we talk about a little bit further down the road. There's definitely some meaty stuff there. How about, how about you? What are you, you working on these days? Well, first of all, it's raining here in Scottsdale, which is always a good thing because, you know, we need the water. So that always puts me in a good mood. So I'm really happy to to have a couple of days here enjoying that. But work-wise, I'm digging into equity insights and engagement approaches. And I've been spending some time with our teams and also talking to utilities about the best ways they can leverage data and insights to help drive diversity mm. and equity. That's yeah. really important stuff these days, too. It is. It is. And the discussions are really thoughtful. And, you know, it's just it's very rewarding to, to talk to utilities about how they they can, you know, better that outreach um, and serve those communities and and really people and um, you know, energy users from all walks of life. So, so that's been great. Well, we're thrilled to welcome Paul Martini as our guest. Uh, Paul's the Executive Director of the Pacific Energy Institute, or PEI, often it's referred to. He also provides consulting to the Department of Energy, the state commissions, and has extensive experience in competitive retail energy services, including DER development and aggregation, as well as grid planning, modernization, and operations. And I know Paul, and I know this is just a sliver of, <laughs> of his background, so he's going to have so much to bring to the table today. And we're hoping that we can dig into a couple of his recent white papers out with PEI that caught our attention. So welcome, Paul. How are you today? Great, thanks. Awesome. We are so excited to have you. And one of the things that I'd, I'd like to, to bring up with folks is you've written two white papers that just have struck me as, as a must read for anybody in this industry. One you wrote last year with, PE, with your colleagues at PEI called A Gambit for Grid 2035. And what really struck me about that is how it looks at how the regulated industry supply chain view of the utility sector is changing to a customer driven view. And you followed that up this January with a white paper called Customer Resource Management Evolution and Revolution. That you talk about transitioning more to an empathetic paradigm around customers. I really love, I mean, there's so much meat in both of those white papers, but 
I'd really love for you to to share some thoughts uh, about those. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, the group we have at uh, at Pacific Energy Institute is fairly diverse. We have fellows that uh, these are voluntary positions, and these are folks that are in the industry and uh, across the U.S. as well as Australia. Uh, and uh, we have one fellow from uh, that's based in the U.K. And we take a global perspective, but really try and draw insights from what's happening kind of at the forefront uh, of a more distributed power system. Uh, including what's happening with uh, customer choices that that they're making, both in terms of their energy needs as well as their resilience needs. Um, and as we look at that, we, we collectively had recognized that there's a pretty dramatic shift happening. Um, and something that you know I've been looking at for some time, uh, thinking about an evolution in the system in the power systems. In, in the US and Australia in particular, um, as we have a more distributed uh, power system. But one of the things we came to uh, over the last year was this recognition that the existing industry structure, uh, you could equate to a, a technology S-curve, if you will. And, uh, and that S-curve, uh, as with many technologies, has a useful life cycle. And, and the technology life cycle that we're working off of, by the way, started about 100 years ago or more. And in many cases, uh, we're already seeing the signs that we're, we've reached the edge of that, the, the capabilities of that, that infrastructure, that system, uh, the sort of uh, ecosystem as, as we've known it, if you will. And, uh, and it's not going to be able to scale uh, and be able to accommodate where we want to go to 100% uh, clean energy. And what we mean by that is um, we, we believe that there's some structural changes. We believe that there are some, uh, uh, obviously there's, and the structural changes relate to things like uh, what the grid needs to look like. Uh, much of the discussion over the past decade around grid modernization has, has spoken to some of this. Uh, but I think some of the more recent papers we've seen, say from Southern California Edison's, uh, pathways to 2045 and their future grid uh, starts to point to what we believe is this second S-curve. Um, this is also recognized in the most recent uh, Australian energy market operators uh, roadmap where they actually cited our, our two S-curves, where we recognize that there, there's a second S-curve, that there's this next generation uh, system, if you will, that we need to start developing um, so we're, we're getting some traction with this idea. And part of that is also looking at the role that customers need to play and will be playing uh, in this, uh, this new energy future. Uh, there's been a number of reports uh, put out and studies uh, examining the role that customer uh, resources may uh, provide and, and customer uh, use of and, and consumption of energy. Uh, can provide in terms of achieving our 100% clean energy objectives, both in terms of decarbonization, but also uh, addressing the need for a more flexible grid as we achieve those goals. Um, and so we also looked at this question of, well, what do we need to think about differently with, with the role of the customer and how we engage customers and how we think of them as more uh, as partners by taking this more empathetic approach. Mm. And and this is really all being driven 
by customer choice and, and options that they now have to either self-generate or or have alternative options for for powering their devices. Is 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 that how you see it? Yes, uh, I mean we've we've seen through particularly the last uh, decade, um, you know, increasingly the opportunities with technological advances and business innovation for for customers to have more choices, uh, both in terms of of the technologies they may choose to use, uh, starting say with on-site solar generation, but uh, but also uh, increasingly in the last, particularly the last five years with on-site battery storage. And uh, and then of course we've seen a dramatic uptake uh, in in backup generation, uh, backup battery systems, um, and and the like to address the increasing resilience uh, needs that we're seeing uh, due to climate change. I really was intrigued by the concept of co-creation that you just talked about, and and also in the paper and how you kind of set up this <clears throat> dichotomy between the odds in the industry, you know, against kind of the interests of the customer. Um, that just, that intrigues me. And I, I, I feel like you, you know, you, you were really kind of getting to this like tipping point that you talk about. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, that the, the number of us have been looking at for some time uh, is this, this question of how how much participation can we get with customers in uh, in demand response in DER programs in what we now call flexible load management or flexible resource management as we we phrase it uh, as we uh, look to uh, engage customers to leverage their uh, on-site uh, resources batteries in particular but also uh, some of the more flexible uh, building and and home automation uh, capabilities that that are coming. Uh, more available. So as we looked at that, uh, it became clear that one of the things that's been kind of a sticking point is that um, we haven't really thought about the needs of the customer in terms of what they're having to give up potentially to be able to participate. And it isn't just about, you know, do we set a dollar value for a particular incentive program at a little higher amount? Um, there is some dimension of that, but fundamentally, you know, how do we think differently about, um, and particularly with technology innovation, uh, structuring and designing programs and and services in such a way that we could be less impactful on on a customer's um, business or or their lives in terms of how the things they want to do. So, can we do this in a more imperceptible way? Uh, than, than maybe more classically uh, what might be perceived as more disruptive from a customer point of view. Uh, so that's kind of the approach we started to look at is, does that help us, if we think differently about this, would that allow us to, to potentially uh, unlock greater you know, uh, opportunities and, and more, more of that potential that, that folks have studied? So it's, it's really kind of interesting because on the one hand, we talk about how can we better engage customers? And on the other hand, it's like we really, really don't want to engage customers. We just want them to allow uh, control of, of their loads in a manner that they don't perceive it's happening so that it's not, it's not adversely impacting their lives. We really don't want them to have to think about it, so we want to engage them without engaging them. I don't know if 
What do you think of that? Yeah, I think, that, I mean, that's one way to look at it. I, th I think one of the things that, that, that I've come to is, is that, you know, we spent a lot of time and money um, over the last 15 years with AMI systems and the like and trying to provide websites with greater information for customers to manage their energy bills. The reality is, and the last time I looked at it, which was, I don't know, the last couple of years um, on some uh, consulting engagements, you know, roughly under 5% of customers actually um, look at their, you know, their online, um, you know, sort of my energy, you know, dot com kind of website for with their local service providers. It's just a very low percentage. Um, you know, people don't really spend that much time thinking about their electricity bill other than the total amount. Um, so if that's the case, then and and that's not like the front and center in their mind, then how do we think about engaging them in a way that that they are willing to participate, but recognizing that anything that expects in any program or service that starts with the premise that they need to be at a certain level of knowledge to be able to make informed decisions, um, and this is largely going to be about uh, an economic um you know, uh, factor, I, I think is, you know, from what we've seen over the last 15, 20 years or more of demand response programs doesn't suggest that that's entirely going to get us to the scale. I mean, there's certainly customers that will do that. Um, and we've seen that, uh, but that tends to get capped out at about 20% of participation, uh, uh, certainly on, on what we've seen with time of use rates and on demand response programs, the largest programs have maybe achieved 10% of the customers um, uh, in a service area, say in California. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but we need more than that, right? What the studies are suggesting is that a, a, a greater percentage uh, of participation, and particularly as we move just from load management, uh, you know, classic demand response to, to being able to engage with their, their storage or uh, how their uh, smart inverters on their solar systems um, can be leveraged or uh, or the like. And that means we need to think, uh, it seems to me, we need to think differently about that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always an optimist, but I have to say right now, I am I'm skeptical about the customer's interest and if it will prevail. Um, it's concerning to me. And I... I love, you know, I, I love this kind of research and these kinds of papers. And I feel like we are like so close, closer than we've ever been. It's just, um, you know, how how is you talk about the tipping point, you know, and I know I, I know you don't have all the answers, so I'm not asking you how how that's going to happen. But what's your sense? Can you can you make me more optimistic? It yeah, will be yeah, Actually, before, before you do that, Paul, it, it strikes me, and, and Joan, I think this is what you're getting at. It's it's what's the value proposition, right? And we, we really have to have a strong, compelling value proposition if we want to get more participation. Yeah, well, th there's certainly a value proposition, but I, I, I think to, to be able to understand what the right value proposition is, um, it really does start with understanding um, the customer, uh, and it's not a singular customer. It's you know, it's 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 a range of different customers with different needs, and really understanding that. I mean, fundamental to the thinking that's uh, that's incorporated in in uh, the most recent paper on the customer evolution 
is um, is design thinking. Uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity uh, about 15 years ago or so to to work with IDEO uh, in in how we developed uh, some of our programs at SoCal Edison, where where I led um, the AMI program and and later the grid modernization effort. Uh, and you know, that was very interesting to to see how they approached. Uh, program development or service offerings uh, or product development, uh, quite different than how we would otherwise uh, be developing uh, products and services. And I mean, literally, um, uh, you know, kind of trying to stand in customers' shoes, uh, you know, for a period of time to try and understand their lives, how they go about their lives, um, how they interact with uh, those things that that would be potentially new products and services, and it was some of those insights really help you sort of appreciate what the potential value proposition might be, or the sets of value propositions that you may need um, to have um, to to engage customers. So I, I think that as a starting point, you know, design thinking is a fundamental dimension that we need to incorporate and need to think about. And not just utilities, because utilities, I think, increasingly have been trying to uh, in incorporate those ideas. The problem is, as we get into sort of a regulatory context, mm -hmm. uh, it becomes much more difficult to try and make, you know, rate cases and, and, and program arguments based on design thinking. Um, it just, those you know, those are two different paradigms in terms of how we think about making decisions in a regulatory context. And, which are adjudicated, uh, you know, um, uh, proceedings uh, versus, uh, you know, what you would do as a as a product manager and and trying to apply design thinking and and really the customer empathy uh, approach. Uh, so we've got some issues there that will need to be resolved. It seems to me as well. But I, I think that's the starting point. Um, is really I, I think design thinking. I think we've seen a lot of great successes over the last 20 years in other industry sectors that have taken that approach um, and have made tremendous breakthroughs in terms of customer engagement. You know, I heard uh, Val Jensen recently talk that uh, people aren't inherently buying electricity or gas for that matter. They're, they're, they're buying it to power their, their devices. So whether light or entertainment or transportation these days and it's it's not about selling electricity which is a really interesting way to change your mind of thinking as you put yourself in the customer's shoes what is it that that they value and that they're really wanting from that so uh, I, I get what you're saying and I also hear what you're saying about the challenges with the regulatory environment. How can you, how can utilities adapt what they're selling uh, in that kind of environment? So it's it's interesting to wrap your head around. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, it is. Uh, I, I, but you know, I think to you know Joan's question, I, I am optimistic that we're going to be able to to work through this. Um, I mean, certainly every other industry sector that that, engage, that engages customers directly has been going through this process for the last for the last 20 years. I mean, we or more. Um, I mean, we've really seen the rise of 
you know, consumer centric um, products and services, you know, really starting. And, and I think I would say that it started with the tech industry, but, you know, it's, it's really been, you know, been expanded into retail, um, uh, you know, shopping and, and the like. Um, you've seen much more of this, you know, customization, you've seen much more. And that customization is designed specifically to various customer types and what they need uh, much more intuitive, if you will, in terms of leveraging technology to understand what customers need and how to, how to, how to, you know, fit better into their lives and address their needs, you know, the value propositions that, that you touched on, David. So I think there's a lot to be looked and looked at and, and learned from, you know, these other industry sectors that have adapted these ideas uh, and approaches and, and have engaged customers in a more meaningful way. I mean, the rise of prosumerism, which is largely what we're talking about here, where consumers are both, you know, using energy, but also producing energy or services that are provided back to the power system. Um, that prosumerism is, is we live it every day. We see it um, in front of us. Many of us are involved in it when we, you know, put materials onto YouTube or TikTok or, you know, other things that we're engaged in where we're providing content back into, uh, you, you know, uh, in, into these other venues or in other cases where you see, um, you know, the rise of some of these platforms that, you know, like like an Etsy where you have, you know, folks with, a, you know, um, you know, side gigs, you know, producing goods at the same time as obviously their consumers. So you've seen a quite a different level of engagement going on. It's not like this is new. Uh, the question is, how do we adapt these concepts that are working in other sectors to uh, for this sector? Uh, and how do we how do we approach that in a way that makes sense uh, for for customers as well as for the, the power system? You in in the uh, customer resource management evolution and revolution paper, you talk about social license to automate. Can you expand on that? That seems kind of relevant here. Yeah, um, I, I came across that work um, in discussion with uh, with one of the uh, the new advisors to uh, to uh, to PEI, uh, Lynn Gallagher. Uh, who's the CEO of uh, cons uh, Energy Consumers Australia, the, the leading energy consumer uh, organization uh, in Australia. Uh, Lynn is a very, very sharp, very engaged in Australia, but also has collaborated extensively in the U.S. with a number of, of um, uh, thought leaders and, um, and industry leaders, uh, as well as in the U.K., so she brings a really, um, you know, uh, useful and, and insightful global uh, perspective. But one of the things that she's been involved in is through the International Energy um, uh, Agency, and they've got a, a subcommittee that's working on this question of social license to automate, which is a recognition that there really needs to be an explicit compact uh, between customers and uh, and power system uh, operators and, and regulators with respect to uh, how to, you know, what what are sort of the rules of the road about um, how uh, customer devices, customer, uh, you know, uh, gener generation, customer uh, batteries, customer load uh, can be utilized um, and, you know, for, for the power system, but in a way that is, that is more as a, uh, you know, peer-to-peer, -peer, um, you know, sort of partnership transaction uh, and relationship than, 
than what might otherwise be perceived as more of a a uh, uh, you know uh, sort of a one-sided relationship that in many cases it's kind of felt like I think for some customers where uh, they weren't really treated as as necessarily equals in in that relationship. So you know we tend to think of customers as potentially partner par sorry participants in a market, but I think um, I specifically use the term partners uh, because it 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 describes really the relationship that needs to be kind of established. And in that, um, it needs to be clear about, you know, what, what can and can't be done. It, it's sort it's an expansion on what we've done historically with demand response program uh, design where, you know, there's certain, um, uh, you know, constraints around how often it can be used and the like. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, issues more recently in Texas where people had signed up for, uh, demand response programs, say smart thermostat programs, but didn't really realize what they were getting into. Um, and then, you know, we had these extreme weather events and and then people didn't, you know, the, the thermostats were, you know, not responding in the way that they thought they would. Uh, and uh, and then it came to find out, well, that's what you had signed up for. Well, so part of this social license to automate is also about transparency and, and education as well. Oh, this is so interesting. We need to call this energy in 60 <laughs> so we can talk about those more. Um, we have to ask you a question that we're asking all of our guests. So um, are you ready for this big question? <laughs> um, really, the question is, if you could do one thing to change the industry, what would it be? The one thing would be to uh, to change our overall paradigm that we use for decision making in this industry from thinking about uh, a zero sum uh, constraint based system, which permeates most of our engineering economics and decision making uh, in the industry, particularly when we think about um, uh, regulation policy and e even business decisions in many cases to one that recognizes the abundance that is on the doorstep. Uh, we're already seeing it, um, but it's certainly coming in the next 10, 15, 20 years. That's gonna really shape the, the second half of this transition to a more distributed system. Seeing in distributed energy resource prices and technology performance is increasing dramatically uh, exp exponential rates. Uh, we're seeing this obviously at the, 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 the bulk power system with uh, renewable uh, resources, increasingly uh, lower cost. Obviously, we've got a bit of a blip right now with with supply chain issues and the like. But um, you know, would anticipate we would get back to kind of the the trends we were on earlier. But at least in the dis distributed edge, um, we're going to have and already seeing abundance uh, with respect to you know the proliferation and it should really change the way that we think about decision-making. Um, this mindset is one that, again, going to the tech industry, that they tend to follow. They tend to think about an abundance model where the pie gets bigger, not that there's an existing pie that you have to then divide up and fight over You know who gets what wedge. And a lot of what we've been doing in the electric industry for the last 25 years since deregulation is fighting over who gets what piece of the pie and how big that pie is, but that the pie is fixed. And I think it's becoming clear, uh, clearer 
with um, a number of the studies that come out, and, and certainly if you look at the trends, that the pie is getting bigger and there's potential here for many uh, folks to participate. There's opportunities to think differently about the roles and responsibilities of various entities. There's maybe an opportunity to think differently about what utilities may uh, be able to do and how they need to partner. Uh, we're already seeing that some of the classic ideas of, you know, who's regulated, who's unregulated, who should do what, uh, starting to blur as people recognize that many of the business opportunities to really satisfy what customers need and, and want um, are going to need to be a lot more uh, fluid, uh, that there's going to need to be greater opportunities to collaborate, uh, to partner, uh, to be able to satisfy uh, customers' needs and be able to uh, engage customers as uh, as as co-creators in in, uh, in in this new future. Well, I have to say, it doesn't sound that aspirational in a way. You you really you have me believing like you think this is doable. That 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 this is this is happening, which is is a comfort. <laughs> That's thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it is happening. Um, little by little, it's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's always this you know, this thing that happens in, in, particularly in this industry, that activities at the ground level tend to precede the more structural, major structural changes that follow. You know, we, we tend to think about things in, in relatively short time periods in terms of change, and, and we think, oh, things aren't really changing. But if we kind of zoom out a little bit, it might be helpful to realize that we're probably about at the midpoint in this transition to a more distributed future, uh, and, you know, over the next 10, 15 years, which really in this industry is not that long um, in terms of how, how change happens, um, I think, I think you know, we're well on our way. It's just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be seeing more of it over the coming, uh, the, the rest of this decade. You know, there's this expression um, by a, a, a futurist um, that uh, who said, that the uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, and um, and I I firmly believe in that. Love it. Thank well, you so much. Yeah, that this this is this has been a great conversation. So thank you, Paul. And and I'll say it again that the two papers are really a must read for for folks. It's a gambit for Grid twenty thirty five, and customer resource management evolution and revolution. I believe you can find both of those at PacificEnergyInstitute.org. That's right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And for the rest of you, if you've enjoyed listening to Energy in 30, please subscribe, share, rate, and review our podcast. And you can look to April for our next episode, which is going to be really, I think, compelling with our guest, Cameron Brooks. Cameron is the president of E9 Energy Insight. He's got a lot of deep experience with public policy and capital markets, electricity regulation, and he'll be just off of um, NARUC. So that will be a fascinating conversation. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And we'll continue digging into these meaty topics around equitable engagement, flexible load management, decarbonization, and electrification. Okay, David, that's all for now. We look forward to having you all join us on our next 30 and 30.